Welcome to Gen Z Money, episode 29. You want your life to look a certain way, you kind of have to find people that their life looks that way and try to learn from them and how they did it. And so those handful of people that I found that grew their net worths or became millionaires or financially free, they did it through real estate. I think that it's a pretty big wealth builder. Even if my jokes aren't funny. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today's guest is Miss Money Moves from Instagram, and her name is Stephanie. We had an awesome, awesome, awesome conversation about where her money journey begins, how she's consistently tracking her money journey, and all of the little, you know, kinks and twists that come with it. You know, she has adopted no spin Sundays to help, you know, keep her budget in line. She's got an idea behind 30 before 30 that we're going to talk about. And it's just so many different elements of personal finance that we discuss. And you're going to hear how she's kind of twisted and molded it to fit her personal goals. And of course, there are things that we talk about that we don't agree on, like her emergency fund being lower, but she having other cash for other things. But that's the great thing about personal finance is that you get to hear what other people are doing and how other people are navigating the space and you get to create your own. So it's awesome to hear stories like this. And I really hope you guys enjoy it. So let's go ahead and get right into the interview. Before we get into the interview, let's hear a quick word from today's show sponsors. What's going on, Stephanie? Welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for you to come on because I follow you on Instagram and you, you post a lot of entertaining reels and some really good information that I think a lot of people can get some benefits from when it comes to personal finances. So I really appreciate you coming on to have the conversation and to tell your story. Yeah, I, any opportunity to talk more about money, I think getting everybody to talk more about their finances is a really important first step. So Anyone that wants to listen, I'm always here and happy to talk about it. (laughs) It's so funny because it's like uh, finances, it's 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 one of two roads. Either you don't want to talk about it at all or that's all you love to talk about. And so anybody (laughs) I bring on the podcast is like, I'll talk about this stuff all day long. (laughs) Definitely. Okay, Stephanie. So let's start from the beginning. Let's start from little Stephanie on the block. How was money talked about and viewed as you grew up? Yeah, it's it's funny because I never really, you know, in my early 20s, I never really thought about that or how that would have affected me. And then when I started this personal finance journey, I realized it just really wasn't talked about a ton. But then um, my uncle owned a farm and everybody in the family worked on the farm. So when I was 12, I started working on the farm, doing farmer's markets, like making my own money. And it was very much, you know, if you wanted something extra you worked for that money you saved it up and then you got the thing I remember my first summer working one day a week saving up every dollar I got and I bought an iPod Nano with it and that was like the coolest thing I owned (laughs) 
Um, but so, yeah, it was just, if you wanted something, you had to work for it. And then saving was a thing. As I got a little bit older, I realized that debt was something my parents weren't the best at. They just had never been taught it. So they didn't know how to manage it. So I just tried to stay as far away from it as I could. Cause I was like, I don't understand that. And it can obviously cause some issues. So when did you get exposed to your parents having debt and mismanaging it in a way? Did you get exposed to that at an early age or is that something that you didn't really figure out until you got older? I think I realized it a little bit more like in my later teens, you know, high school, 16, 17, 18, um, they had purchased a property that wasn't the best deal. And I think it was in hopes that, you know, they could build on it and use it as a rental and all these things, but they had never taken the time to fully educate themselves on that process. So then it ended up not being the best deal for them. And I kind of remember thinking like, we own this random piece of land that we can't do anything with. I feel like that's <laughs> probably not our best financial move. And then I watched that put a lot of pressure and stress on my mom as she tried to kind of backpedal and figure out, you know, learn after the fact. So. Gotcha. And I just want to point out something I really love when it comes to parenting and children, and I don't have children. So I speak from a bare minimum standpoint on this, but like, I love it when parents instill in their children because uh, to work for what you want. So you said you worked and you save for an iPod Nano, and that's like a very big step. And I, you, most people can agree is when you're a child and you actually pay for something, you value it so much more than if your parents just bought it for you. So I really think I want to point that out. Like that is an amazing thing that I wish more parents would do. And being in a personal finance space, like I, I want to be as humble as possible when I say this, but I know that I'm going to become extremely wealthy in the future, but I don't want to be that parent who just gives their child whatever they want when they want. I actually want them to work and earn and feel how, how you felt when you finally saved up for that iPod Nano. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the biggest lessons that I, I mean, I valued it even before I started learning about personal finance, them teaching me the value of a dollar in that way. I mean, it, I think that's taken me really far in life and helped me in a lot of avenues. So I think it's a really valuable thing to instill in your children. I don't have kids yet either, but I always think that's something I want to be able to instill in them as well. Yeah, because you don't want your children to feel entitled because, yeah, yeah the, the world doesn't owe us anything. So <laughs> I want to teach them the same thing. Like the world doesn't owe me anything and it doesn't owe you anything. So as you got older, were there any major financial mistakes that you were making around the 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, era, like getting into tons of debt? You said you were already a little afraid of debt, but were you taking out any student loans to go to college or um, buying cars or credit cards or anything like that as you began to get older? Yeah, I think that's something that I was just, I was lucky. And I think because I was so nervous I just kind of steered to the don't do anything move so I ended up just paying for college I mean I went to community college and then a smaller university so I did pick I mean it was still expensive but I did pick the cheaper route of that and I was able to work while I went to school and pay out of pocket I was lucky enough to still be able to live at home with my parents during that time uh, so I, did, I avoided most of that debt um, I did lease a car in around like 20 23, 24. And 
it hasn't been the best financial move, but at the time, you know, the people in my life were like, oh, this makes sense. Like it'll make your payment lower, this, that, and the other. And so having the roughly $20,000 car loan now, cause I did end up purchasing it. Um, that's been something that I think I definitely would have liked to do differently, but you live and you learn. So. <laughs> yeah. And you have to go through these. And I mean, I, I get it that you want to kind of attribute it to luck when it comes to not making these huge financial uh, mistakes, whether it's taking out massive student loans or things like that. But I also want to give it a little bit to, it goes a little bit further than luck, right? Like there had to be something that you were looking at that you had at least experienced to say like, okay, this is not a good financial decision. I should not be maxing out credit cards like my friends. I should not be uh, taking out student loans. So I don't want to attribute all of that to luck. There is something, whether you realize it or not, deep down inside of you that told you like, you know what, let's not go down this path. Yeah, I, I think I say luck because I think the way my parents kind of taught me about that value of a dollar and, you know, you work, I've I always worked hard for my money, even from a pretty young age. So I understood that side of it. And so I guess I, my friends that didn't have the opportunity to learn those lessons or have parents that were kind of transparent, my parents were never really high, like they didn't openly talk about their finances, but it was never a big secret. And we weren't, super struggling, but I always knew that it was kind of tight and they were living a little bit paycheck to paycheck. So I think in my mind, not all luck, but I think seeing that, whereas some of my friends, you know, their parents weren't very transparent or weren't very open. And so they kind of lived in this bubble for a long time. And I, so I think that's where that, I bring that luck word into it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely make sense when you say that. So do you recall there ever being like a turning point where you realized like, okay, snap out of it, Stephanie, I have got to get complete control of my finances and I need to make a plan for success. Was there a time where that happened that you can recall or was it kind of a gradual growth or how did that come about? Yeah, so it was, it was kind of all the two circumstances happening at the same time. It was about a year ago now, last spring. Um, the first thing was I had just switched jobs and I was making more money than I'd ever been making. And my lifestyle had stayed exactly the same. My mortgage was the same. My utility, all my bills had stayed the same. And yet I was still living paycheck to paycheck. And so it was kind of this moment where I was like, wait, how's this happening? Like my paychecks went up, my bills stayed the same. There should be more money in there somewhere. Um, and then at the same time, I was having a conversation with my friend about the stock market and I knew nothing about it. I had a very small 401k that I was like, I think those are stocks. I'm not sure. And I said out loud to my friend, like, oh, I'm just not smart enough to be a stock market person. And I kind of, it, I kind of stopped for a second. I was like, why would I tell myself I'm not smart enough? Like I, I went to college and I learned about business. I went to real estate school and got my real estate license. So obviously if I want to learn something, I know how to study it and learn it. So why not apply that to the stock market or my finances? So then I just kind of dove in head first and the next day bought like three different personal finance books, was starting to follow everybody I could on Instagram that was talking about it. And then it spiraled into so much more than I could have imagined. But a year later, I'm in a completely different position. And I'm very thankful that I did start that journey and start paying attention to everything. 
Yeah. Do you remember what those three finance books were that kind of got you kickstarted into this whole personal finance journey? Yeah, it was the, um, the psychology of money and the happy investor, I think is what it's called. You said the happy investor. Yeah, I feel like that's what it was called. Yeah, I'm totally I, drawing a blank I will, now. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'll definitely look them up. I, I don't think I've read either of those, but I'll definitely yeah. look them up because I want to look at, I, I love me some personal finance books. Man. Yes, yes. And, and if I find them, of course, guys, I'll put them in the show notes. That way you guys can have them as listeners. So a lot of things on your Instagram, a lot of posts you make has this idea of 30 before 30. Can you kind of explain what that phrase means? Yeah, so I had seen another Instagram account do a like 20 lessons I learned in my 20s. And I was like, that is so cool. And I, you know, Instagram has that new favorite button. So I had like favorited her and was looking at all of them because I was like, that's, I think that's so valuable, especially for people in their 20s. You know, what are other things that 20 something year olds have learned and found valuable and can I find value in that and so I kind of started making my own list mentally as I was following along with her journey and I'm 28 this year so I'll be 30 in a couple years and I was like let's let's kind of take my own spin on that and think of you know 30 30 finance things I've really learned 30 things in my 20s that have helped my finances because really my finance journey started about a year ago so there's been a lot I've learned in that year but as we kind of talked about there was a handful of things in my 20s too that you know I just kind of naturally had from my parents and I had kind of learned on my own and I think those set me up for success on this personal finance journey so it's been fun to kind of look back and learn a little bit more about myself and think about those things that set me up for success from my early 20s as well. You know, that's phenomenal because I always like to put out because even people might ask me questions and think that I just know absolutely everything when I know very little. I know a a little bit about a lot of different subjects. And so I like to I like the phrase being a lifelong learner. Right. And I I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I always want to find someone and talk to them that knows just a little bit more than me or has knowledge that I don't and get it from them. Because I think oftentimes people, especially when they've been doing personal finance, they think that they know everything. They think that they have the golden goose egg, that if everybody just touches this egg, they will turn to gold and they will become millionaires when that is absolutely never the case. It's never been the case and it never will. Personal finance is personal. So I always love when people are always seeking more education, especially when it's in areas that might even contradict what you've learned up to this point. And a prime example of this is like the whole new crypto phase. Like I'm not a fan of crypto. I personally don't invest in crypto, but I'm always willing to listen to someone and, and get their opinion on it, even if it doesn't change my mind, right? But I'm always open to learn more. And yeah, so I, lo- I love that idea of the 30 before 30 because it shows that you're a lifelong learner and that you're always going to be learning more and more and more. And you're never just gonna, you're never gonna be done essentially. Yeah, I always think of myself as like a forever student. Like I'm always in school in some sort of way, whether that's school from this person or that person or this topic, I always want to continue to grow my knowledge in all areas. 
Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a really big reason why I love bringing different people onto the podcast to hear their story and hear their journey and the path that they've taken, because even though it's not the same to mine, and even if I wouldn't recommend that path to someone else, it's still really fulfilling to hear the fruits of, you know, the, the different path they took and to get to where they are. So and I always suggest that and that and that goes to every portion of your life. It's not just for finances, you know, it's for your marriage. You know, you want to see people might have taken different paths down relationships or, you know, just spiritually or anything fitness wise. It just goes you always need to be open to at least hearing other perspectives. Yeah, definitely. So another thing that you talk about a lot on your Instagram is no spend Sundays. What was the inspiration behind that concept? So I, um, I'm an independent contractor for real estate. I kind of have a unique real estate role and I get paid for each appointment that I do throughout the day. And somehow in the last, you know, four or five months, my mind has started on days that I work kind of keeping a running tally of if I'm positive or negative for the day, like, oh, I've done this many appointments. So that's X amount, but I stopped and got a snack or I stopped and got gas. So that subtracts that. So I was kind of always like, am I in the green or am I in the red today? And then there was a few days where, you know, I realized, oh, I haven't spent any money today. So that's kind of cool. Let's see if I can actually do that more often. And I mean, Instagram, you know, you're trying to kind of play on words a little bit. So I picked Sunday because of obviously no spend Sunday had a good flow to it. (laughs) And so it's kind of, you know, Sundays I focus really hard on trying not to spend any money. I drive a lot. So I always end up buying gas, which personal finance, a big thing I always say is give yourself grace. You don't have to be perfect at everything all the time. Trying to learn is the important part and trying to apply these things is the important part. Um, So, I mean, if, if I spend a Sunday and all I did was buy gas, I'm like, you know what? Good job. I didn't let myself spend in other areas that I didn't need to. And then, I mean, that's carried over in other days too, where, you know, I'll get halfway through the day and realize I haven't gone and really spent any money. So then I'm like, well, what could we do tonight? That's a free activity. You know, could we go to the park? Could I go on a walk or hang out by the pool? Something different. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love that analogy of kind of creating a daily budget in your head you know you're saying like okay this is how much money I brought in from doing work and this is how much money that went out that number nine times out of ten it needs to be positive right because (laughs) otherwise otherwise you're going the wrong way so I love that I, I love that and you know a lot of people for example when they're doing side hustles okay you know I'm gonna be completely transparent with you guys. My wife, she is a registered nurse and she's able to pick up um, hours at work. And, you know, over time they end up, she ends up making double, sometimes even triple her normal base salary, but she'll have this thing where she'll be just randomly looking at other odd jobs around just to, you know, fill up her free time. And she'll look at things like cleaning or, I don't even know, like 
donating blood or just some crazy stuff that she might get like $10 an hour, $15 an hour doing when I'm like, babe, you could be going to work in overtime making 60, 70, $80 and you'll be prof your time spent profiting will be so much higher. And sometimes I have to remind her, like, listen, you went to school for a long time. They need you out there. So you have to make best use of that time. And so creating a daily budget in your head saying like, where is my time best spent on this day? What is going to give me the max amount of income and the least amount of uh, expenses to make that gap way bigger? Yeah, it's and I relate funny. To- Go ahead. You mentioned your wife being like kind of a, a busybody of sorts. You know, how can I fill my free time? And I, I have that same thought a lot. And so the No Spend Sunday actually kind of helped me have this mentality where it was like, you know, I could fill my evening time with a side hustle, you know, walking the neighbor's dogs for $10, $15 an hour, doing something like that. Or if I just let myself have some downtime and I took a minute to relax and spend some time with my own dog or my own boyfriend or whatever it was, I might not be making money, but I'm also not spending money and my time is valuable spent in those relationships or spending time with those people as well. So that the no spend Sundays kind of gave me that shift in perspective, which as a busy body person was very nice to have to be like, okay, I don't have to fill every hour of the day trying to make a dollar. Sometimes I can just spend it trying not to spend a dollar. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that gives so much power because you're giving yourself permission to invest in relationships. Mm-hmm. And if you spend all of your time investing in producing income and trying to get the best return on your time, you're going to sacrifice those very important relationships, whether it's you have children or if you have a dog or a husband, boyfriend or whatever that is, or even friends. So, I mean, you do have to give yourself permission to invest in relationships because that's just as important as the finances. Yeah. So how has this no spend Sunday or just no spend any day, you know, trying to keep the expenses as low as possible? How has that impacted your overall financial situation? Um, It's definitely helped a little bit. I think that it's helped me realize, I mean, you see those posts all the time, like, oh, if you just saved an extra $20 a day, you'd have X amount by the end of the year. So then if I, if I think about it, I'm like, well, if I didn't, how easy is it to spend $20 when you're out in the world? That goes so fast. You know, that's a lunch somewhere or stopping at the gas station. It's, I mean, for me right now, it's triple that to fill my car up with gas. But so I think in my head, it's like, well, now all those little $20 trips to wherever I was going are just adding up in my bank account. I've been able to start kind of putting that into my emergency fund again and kind of growing that back up. And that's been nice to see finally. Um, So I think that's really helped a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's the little things, you know what I mean? It's the little adjustments that you make, you know, maybe every day, every week, every month that ends up um, compounding over time. You know, we talk about the power of compound interest, you know, saving an extra $20 a day, Maybe for that day, it might be $20, but for the year, that ends up being thousands of dollars that you saved. So mm-hmm. I think looking at the long term, looking at the uh, big picture instead of just the daily picture, which is small, will also help people uh, 
grasp the concept on why it's so important. Yeah, definitely. So on your page, a lot, you track your net worth on a monthly basis. And to me, that gives me a little bit of, you know, anxiety where I'm like, that's a lot to keep track of on a monthly basis. <laughs> so can you explain why you choose to track it monthly? And there's nothing wrong with it. I, I don't do it. But, you know, most people track it annually, biannually, maybe even semi-annually. So why, why do you choose a monthly basis? Is it, what, what's the goal behind that? Um, so when I started doing it, I mean, I don't know, a few people I've talked to have had a similar experience, you know, when you first kind of learn about the net worth idea of how to track kind of your financial standing, it's usually a new concept. A lot of people, I mean, I never thought of, honestly, I thought I didn't even have a net worth because I was like, I'm not wealthy. I don't have one of those, like in my early twenties. So I never thought of it. And then when I realized, oh, it's just an equation of, you know, assets minus your liabilities and that's your net worth. I think I just got a little addicted to it. Um, it's, I like it cause it's kind of a big picture, you know, I get to, and it helps me check in with each of those things. Um, my assets are, I mean, the biggest asset I have is my condo. So that's kind of the biggest thing and being in the real estate market, I enjoy when I sit down to do my budget looking and being like, Oh, did, you know, the condos in my area, did they go up at all this month? Where are they looking like, have they fluctuated or changed much and a lot of the time it's fairly similar month to month it doesn't change a ton a little bit here and there maybe but then you know looking at my debts too I have that $20,000 car loan that's on there obviously my mortgage is on there and I think it's I and I enjoy the process of looking and being like oh look last month it was at this and I put you know I only got to put the normal $350 payment to it, towards it. So it only went down a little bit or, oh, I had extra money and I put extra towards the car loan. So that loan's going down faster. And like I said, I really just think it kind of became part of my budget routine where I would go through and track my expenses and my income. And then I'd be like, let's look at my net worth. And I, I just find it exciting. And I, one of my short-term goals right now is I want to get to that $100,000 net worth. So I think once I get to that, I might it might slow me down a little bit, but because I'm so excited about that goal, I'm like, let's look, let's see where I'm at. Am I closer this month or not? So how do you ever feel discouraged when your net worth goes down on a month? Because when you're checking it month to month, you know, if the market shifts one yeah. month, like it will drop substantially. Like, so how do you, do you ever feel discouraged when that happens? Do you kind of understand that that's just the beauty of the beast or how do you navigate that? The first time it went down, it definitely was discouraging. And I mean, it didn't even go down that much. I mean, maybe $5,000 or so, which in a net worth picture isn't that big of a deal because the market is going to fluctuate. And I know that. Um, so it was a little bit of a bummer because it had been going up, up, up. And then I had that first down month and I was like, oh. Um, but it, I then, especially on my Instagram account, I want to be so transparent. I want people to know that it's not always going to be positive. It's not always going to be a win. You're going to have losses along the way. And that's use those moments to learn, use those moments to get more comfortable with. I mean, for me, when the net worth goes down, it's like, okay, just was it a mistake that I made or was it just a fluctuation in the market? Okay. The stocks went down because the market was down this month. That's okay. Learn. It kind of helped me to just, it's helped me to get comfortable with those downturns, I guess I could say. 
Gotcha. And you mentioned it earlier, but I just want you to mention it one more time for the listeners that don't know. Can you just break down really quickly how someone can calculate their net worth? Because I don't think I've covered it in the podcast up to this point, like what that calculation actually looks like. Yeah. So um, the equation is your assets minus your liabilities. So basically anything you own that's an appreciating asset. So, you know, that you could sell and get money for your condo. I mean, your car somewhat is an asset, depends how much you could sell it for. They usually depreciate, but you can put it on there. Guy of mine on there. What could just Kelly blue book? What could my car sell for if I tried to sell it? Um, your personal assets can be included in it. You know, your furniture, that sort of thing. I, I usually use that as a pretty small portion. And then any 401ks, any stocks, any investment funds that you have, that's all stuff that if you needed to, you could sell it and you would get money for that. And then you subtract all your debts. So things that you owe people money for, your mortgage, your car loans. Um, I think, I mean, those are the biggest two I have online. Obviously, if you owe a friend money or if you have a personal loan or a title loan or student loans, those things would all go into your liabilities as well because they're you have to pay those things. You owe people that money. Gotcha. I, I appreciate you explaining that because a lot of people think that your net worth is just how much money you have in the bank. And yeah. that's a very big misconception. It's like your net worth is so much more than that because wealthy people don't really hold on to cash that much. You know, they hold <laughs> on to assets. They hold on to things that are appreciating. So you could look at somebody like, I don't know, uh, Grant Cardone, you know, he's a billionaire, but he probably has, you know, a couple million in the bank. If that, I, I don't know, like I, I'm just yeah. guessing, <laughs> but you wouldn't just say, oh, he's a millionaire. Like, no, you have to calculate all of his assets, all of his debts and everything. That comes and I think that it. that's a good point. Too. I mean, like I was saying, just when I started talking about when I was in my early twenties, I was like, I don't have a net worth because when, when you think of net worth off the top of your head, you think of the celebrity's net worth or you know, the CEO's net worth, those big net worths. And yeah, like Jeff Bezos doesn't just have a billion dollars sitting around. Like he has that in his company and in his stocks and in his investment all over. So I think that's um, something that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. And I think, I think it's very, it can be very discouraging, but I think that everyone should have a knowledge of their net worth. And I will, I will go ahead and point out guys, the number one thing that will destroy your net worth, and most people will figure this out, is student loans. When you calculate that in, you, you will find that many people have a negative net worth because they own student loans. And that can feel discouraging. It's like, wow, like how am I ever supposed to get up to $100,000 net worth if I'm at negative 50000 because of student loans? But that's just all a part of the process, guys. But you have to, you cannot choose to be ignorant on it and think and be like an ostrich stick your head in the sand and forget about it because it will never grow it'll end up continuing to go down kind of like your credit score like you can't just ignore your credit score and hopefully it recovers one day like no you have to be diligent you have to be consistent in order to get it to where you want it to be yeah i had heard early on in my journey someone had told me you can't you can't change what you're not tracking and so that was something that was valuable to me as well. I mean, with anything, you know, when you're trying to grow an Instagram, how are you going to gain followers if you're not paying attention to your insights? How, you know, if you're trying to grow your net worth, how are you going to grow it if you don't even know where it's at to begin with? So I think that's 
an important lesson that stuck with me early on. Yeah, I, I love that. And a, a part of tracking it is dealing with how uncomfortable it may make you. You have to be willing to get uncomfortable in order to make the change. And in some Absolutely. sense, it gives you a sense of motivation where you see that, holy cow, I went from negative 50 to negative 40. You're like, I can actually do this. Like it is obtainable. And that ends up snowballing and motivating you to do even more. I completely agree. So Stephanie, let's talk about what does your current net worth consist of? We talked about your condo, but what else, uh, what other assets are you calculating in to come up with your total net worth? Yeah. So, I mean, I have, you know, my, my liquid cash, my bank accounts and whatnot that are a small portion. And then um, the condo, I do have a retirement account um, that has some stocks in it. I mean, it's mostly, mostly index funds. I have a few individual stocks, but I, the stock market is still something that I am actively learning about. So a lot more of my money goes into a high yield savings account right now because we're saving to purchase real estate because we're kind of working on the real estate side of our portfolio right now. Um, but I do hope within the next year to really start growing the stock side of things more. Um, and then, yeah, I have obviously a little bit, I put a little bit in the personal things that I own and my car, what it could sell for, even though, again, as we talked about in the beginning, I do owe more on the car than I could sell it for, but that's okay. Um, so that's what my asset side of my net worth is built up right now. Gotcha. And then you already talked about your liabilities being like your car loan and your mortgage and mm -hmm. small things like that. Yeah. So, well, let me dig a little bit deeper. Well, why are you, and you don't have to have the perfect answer to this. This is just to satisfy my curiosity. Why have you decided to transition more into uh, target more real estate than the stock market? Um, I think the big thing that steered me that way is like, I am a real estate agent. I've been working in real estate in my, I'm, I'm in Phoenix. So I'm in the Phoenix market and I've been in it for about full time now about almost two years. So I just felt like I had a pretty good understanding of it. And so for me, it just felt, it felt a little less risky. And then also, you know, I do have this shorter term goal of becoming a millionaire within the next five years. Um, and so the few people that I've, you know, another thing I do is if you want your life to look a certain way, you kind of have to find people that their life looks that way and try to learn from them and how they did it. And so those handful of people that I found that grew their net worth or became millionaires or financially free, they did it through real estate. I think that it's a pretty big wealth builder. So between those two things, I just, that kind of became the plan. You know, if we can try to purchase one a year for the next five years, which I know is a little ambitious, especially with this market, but I'm going to shoot for it. And even if we fall a little short and only get three properties over the next five years, I think that'll still put us in a really good position. Yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think that's too ambitious because I'm, 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 I'm right now shooting for two a year, but of course I'm not in a Phoenix market. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, mm. Yeah, you got that one. I'm yeah. staying away from Phoenix. But so, you know, I, I love that you said like you, 
in order to get to where you want to be, you need to surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to be doing in the places that they're being done. Shout out to Ken Coleman from the Ramsey Network. He says it all the time. And it's absolutely, it hits home every single time. Like if you want to become a millionaire and you're looking around and the millionaires around you are putting their money into real estate and they're not putting their money into you know, buying cars, appreciating cars or things like that. That's what you want to be doing. Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just, yes. somebody already did it. So you just mm-hmm. need to kind of jump on the bandwagon and people might say, oh, you're just copying what others are doing. Like, so like, so I, it worked for them. Yep, Why yep. can't it work for me? There's no shame in my copy game. I, like, yeah. I, I mean, if you look at some of the best, uh, on the stock side, some of the best stock investors, you know, you start with Warren Buffett. I mean, he learned his, not all his strategies, but a handful of his strategies from someone else before him. And then there's people after Warren Buffett that'll say, yeah, I saw what he did. So I did it. <laughs> like, so definitely use what people have learned to your advantage, especially if they're willing to share that with you. Yeah, exactly. And there's no shame in it. Like, there's absolutely no shame. So then one more question when it comes to the real estate investing that you're getting into, should people who want to start investing in real estate get their real estate license? Um, I don't think it's a necessity at all, but I do think you should, I mean, again, kind of to that, find people that are doing what you're doing. You're, you want to find someone that's in the real estate world so that you, you know, find yourself a real estate agent so that you have someone that you can ask those questions to. Cause like a lot of things, you're going to get into real estate. You can read all the books, take all the courses you can find and feel like you have a pretty good handle on things. But then when you get out there, you don't know what you don't know. And so you want to have someone that you feel safe to be like, Hey, this, what does this mean? What, you know, wait, I have to, my loan officer told me I need X amount of dollars. Where's that coming from? You want someone that can help you navigate those questions as they pop up. Um, so I don't think you need your license, but I would definitely recommend finding a loan officer that you can ask questions to and finding a real estate agent that you can ask questions to so they can help you start to build that portfolio. Yeah, I 100% agree. And the only reason I ask you that is because it, it's it's such a commonly asked question. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's between that and should I start an LLC to invest in real estate? <laughs> and to both of those questions, of course, it's like, no, you just need to start. But to your point, it's all about surrounding yourself with professionals. Like you don't need to, like you, Stephanie, an agent, you do not need to know every single step in the loan process to get a mortgage. You also don't need to know every single step in doing a home inspection right? Like that's what professionals are for. And surrounding yourself with professionals who have the mind of a teacher that'll sit down and say, look, this is what it is. You know, this is why it's important and things like that. And I always, I always relate it back to, let's say you have a leak in your sink and you realize all I need to do is tighten up this bolt. You don't go and get your plumbing license in order to fix that. (laughs) Like, it's not like you're going to be professionally doing it for other people. You wouldn't, you wouldn't become a professional lawn care company just to cut your own grass. So it's the same (laughs) thing with buying, you know, an investment property. Like you don't have to be an expert in it in order to do it yourself. You just need to surround yourself with experts in that field. Yeah. I love those analogies. That's, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of people will be like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense because 
yeah, I don't want to be a plumber, but it's like, yeah. that doesn't mean you can't unclog your own toilet. <laughs> exactly, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So shout out to that. I, I, and I love that you answered that question because it is a very common question. And I'm a, I love me some real estate. Like I said, my goal is two properties a year. Uh, we're on goal. That. We're on pace right now, but we'll see how it holds up. That's awesome. <laughs> so Stephanie, another post you made, which kind of shook me a little bit. I was like, how is that even possible? In March, you had calculated your net worth to be $71,000. But then you also posted that your emergency fund was only $910. So it's like, how does that come to fruition? Like you, someone looking at that, they'd be like, how does that make any sense? You know, how is she worth 70,000, but only has 900 in her bank account? You know, how, how did that come about? And are you still in that same place? Yeah, so I think for me, and it's funny because I didn't think about it until we were kind of having this discussion now, my emergency fund and then I have a separate savings account and I that savings account in my mind is what I'm currently calling like my down payment fund. So I have a lot of money put in that high yield savings account, but I don't, I try not to touch that. Like not, I don't even want to touch that for emergencies because I'm trying to put that all towards the down payment of our next property. So there's a lot more money in that savings account than there is in like my emergency fund bucket, I guess you could say. Um, so I think that's, because of that that down payment high yield savings account that goes into my net worth as well. So that's kind of where that offset's coming from. And then also my, I mean, my emergency fund was definitely higher and then I had an emergency <laughs> to spend a lot of it. So it's been, it's been hard to grow that small bucket back up because for me, I mean, I don't have any kids and I have, I have a job where my income's pretty steady right now. So I haven't put a lot of focus on having a very big emergency fund. I've put a lot of focus on trying to get all that money into that other savings account that I really don't even want to use for emergencies. Um, Cause it's I'm kind of calling it the real estate fund and I'm trying to pretend it's not there at all. So if an emergency comes up though, and you don't have enough in your emergency yeah. fund to cover it, would It'll, you resort to going to that down payment fund or would you resort to alternative methods? Yeah. So I, a great example of this is I just did my taxes and being an independent contractor, I don't, I didn't pay taxes all last year. So I knew I was going to owe money and I figured that would come from that down payment fund. I was like, I'm going to owe some money in taxes. It's going to be really hard for me to pull out of that other savings account, but I would rather pull it out of that than, you know, put it on a credit card and be, paying interest on it. Gotcha. So, and just to clarify, so your emergency fund that you posted in March, that's not all the cash you have. That's just yeah. all the cash you're willing to spend on an emergency. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like the way my mindset thinks about it and it's kind of like two different buckets to me, but I mean, I guess in the grand scheme of things, that's all the liquid cash I have. So if something really crazy were to go down, I would definitely just pull from that high yield savings account. I just, I'm very much so like an out of sight, out of mind person. So I'm like, let's just try to pretend I don't have all, all that because that has a specific goal in mind. And I really want it to go towards that goal. Gotcha. So right now, are you prioritizing establishing a bigger emergency fund or are you prioritizing 
the down payment fund for your first rental property? Um, I've definitely been for the last like six to eight months prioritizing the down payment for the rental property a lot more. Um, I did recently kind of with the no spend Sundays and all of that start to think, okay, we can put just like a little bit, we, we could put $20, $40 here and there into that emergency fund, which I did the whole month of March and it took it from 900 to 1100. I was like, okay, just by even doing that little bit, I already found 200 extra dollars to put back in there. So I am kind of trying to reprioritize that, but the big goal right now is trying to save up for that first investment property. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how, when you're doing your budget, how do you decide what portion of your income is going to go into the emergency fund? What portion is going to go into the down payment fund for your rental property? And what portion is going to go to debt payoff? Yeah. So, um, I think because I'm, I was so focused and so driven on this, I buying this next property, it was really like, I would think, I haven't done the percentages, but I would say roughly like 60% of my income was going towards my expenses. And then pretty much all the time, it was like 30, 40 going straight to that down payment fund. Like I was just so focused on it that I was like, if I can just get it all there, build it as fast as I can, buy the property as quick as I can. Um, but just recently I've kind of started to be like, okay, let's maybe do more like 30% to that and 10% to the debt payoff or 10% to the saving to the emergency funds. So I got a little hyper-focused on the goal and let the other things be like non-existent, which for, you know, four or five months was okay. But now I'm kind of starting to think, okay, let's try to rebalance all this again. Gotcha. And I mean, that's, I think that's a great lesson for people too, because I think a lot of people think about budgeting as like, I have to set this and I have to stick to it for an entire year. And your budget's going to fluctuate. Your budget's going to fluctuate month to month because life just happens. Gotcha. So you mentioned having a 40% savings rate. Uh, we both know yeah. that you didn't start there, right? Because like, no. a lot of people might be listening to this. They're like 40%. Like there's no way, Jose, she's lying, you know? And so we can both agree you didn't start there. No, I mean, like I said, a, a year ahead. ago, I was living paycheck to paycheck. So I had like, I was saving maybe $50. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had like a almost 0% savings rate going on. Gotcha. And you, you mentioned that your income went up over time during that time. Was there anything else that you can remember that kind of sticks out to you that kind of helped you increase the savings rate and decrease the expenses? Was it just the income increasing or were there other factors that played into that? Yeah. So, I mean, right when I started the budget, I was just making more money than I had made before, but I'd never tracked my expenses. So the first like three months I was just trying to, I told myself, I was like, let's just see where the money's going. Like, don't be too hard on yourself. You don't have to set crazy big goals. Just look at your numbers for the first time. Cause you never have. Um, and when I did that for three months, I realized, I mean, I love going out to eat. I love going to restaurants. That's where, you know, I love meeting friends for a drink. That's my social thing. I love it. But when I looked at those numbers, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> the amount of money I'm spending at restaurants is actually like 
crazy to me because I do like to cook at home too. So I was like, let's find some balance there. Like we could definitely save there. Um, and I mean, so that was honestly the biggest category where I was like, whoa, let's readjust. So I found some savings in that, you know, I started to kind of balance eating at home versus going out and spending all my money on going out. So that was a big thing. And then also I did spend a lot of time increasing my income. I have a few different side gigs. So that was nice. I am a virtual assistant. And then I have a couple girlfriends that own a bartending business. So I bartend a little bit as well. So both of those things allowed me, I mean, if job A was paying all the bills, both those other small jobs, that just became extra income that could go towards the savings rate. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you threw that last portion in that, you know, because a lot of people, what they'll do is when they get the extra income, you know, um, I have a financial advisor on a podcast quite often by the name of Joey. And on one of our episodes, he was describing that if you do not allocate the extra income that comes in, your life will naturally absorb it. And so if you you just said that, you know, job A is paying for all the expenses so if you do not allocate the funds from job B and job C straight to savings or investing or paying off debt, whatever the course is, then you, your life will naturally absorb that money. Your expenses will end up uh, equaling out on that money. So I love how you point that out as like, you have to allocate those funds. You have to realize like, just because I have more income in doesn't mean I need to spend more. Yeah. It's kind of that zero-based budgeting method where you, you have to give every dollar a job or it'll find a job. <laughs> it might not be the one you want it to do. So definitely that's a good mindset to use. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So Stephanie, and then last question when it comes to that. So is, do you have any debt besides the car loan and mortgage, of course, that you should you think that you should be paying off early or is that kind of just the meat and potatoes? Yeah. So I do have a small credit card. Um, it's been hovering or right around like a thousand dollars for the last few months. And I think in my head again, for a long time, I was like, eh, it's right around a thousand dollars. It's not too big a deal. It's not really affecting like my net worth or like weighing on me too heavily. But then again, in the last month or so here I've had this mindset shift where I was like it's a thousand dollars like let's just ship away at that for a minute just to have it off my plate just to not think about it to say I mean the interest it's a credit card so the interest rate's a little high I want to say it's 18 or 19 percent um so I mean every now and then that small interest charge do I really notice it no but is it 20 30 bucks yeah <laughs> could that be going somewhere else every month if I just knocked it out definitely. So it doesn't play a huge role in a lot of things, but it is there. But do you have peace of mind knowing that like you have the money to pay it off? So if it ever became an issue to where let's just say you lost your job and you needed that debt gone, you have the option to go ahead and kick it to the curve. Yeah. I think definitely having all that savings put away and knowing that I have you know, these extra side gigs that do bring in money that I could allocate pretty quickly to pay that off. I think that does make it give me that peace of mind to feel so casual about it. Gotcha. 
Okay, so let's talk about what are some of your short-term money goals? So we talked about buying a rental property within this year. Do you have any other money goals that you hope to accomplish within the next year? Um, I think that's really the biggest focus is the rental property. I mean, I, I really just want to start to get in some more passive income over. I, I don't really have any passive income right now. A little bit in dividends, but not a ton, not enough to do much with, except for reinvest them. So I think getting that rental property, getting some passive income so that I'm able to, again, increase that savings rate, increase that investing rate. Gotcha. So what about what are some of your long term money goals that you hope to accomplish within the next five to 10 years? Like, what does the finish line look like for you? Yeah. So for me, I mean, like I said, the, the five-year goal right now is to become a millionaire. So that's kind of a focus I have, but then also it really, I just want, I want to be financially free. And I know that means something different to everybody. And so for me, it's to be work optional. I'm such a busy body that the whole retire early sounds amazing, but I know that if you, if I got into that position, it would be a month before I was like, okay, what can I do? What can I what can I start? What can I be doing every day? Cause that's just my personality. So I want to be able to be work optional. And to me, that means working on things that I care about and that I'm passionate about. Personal finance is a big thing. I would love to grow money moves into something where I can start helping people on their journeys and helping them take control of their finances and all of that good stuff. And then also I want to be in a position where I can work from anywhere. Phoenix gets really hot in the summer. So if I could go somewhere else for a month or two, but still be working on, you know, the job that I care about from a different location. So those are the really big kind of finish line goals that I have for how I want my life to look. Gotcha. And yeah, I also agree with the whole, I'm not on board. I love fire, but I'm not on board with the retire early because I would get really bored and I get really fat because I just sit around and do nothing. So, you know, but, but being work optional, I think a lot of people would agree. Like that is the move to say, like, I'm going to take a month off to do what I need to do and still be able to function throughout life. Yeah. And I mean, a big thing for me too, uh, you know, we, my boyfriend and I, you know, we want to start a family at some point. And when I think about having kids, you know, this is down the road, of course, but you know, they're going to have sporting events. They're going to have school field trips. They're going to have things they're, they're doing. And I want to be able to be so actively involved in that. I want to be the mom that's at the school. I want to be the mom that can take the kid and their friends to all the practices because I have the freedom in my career and my job to do those things. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I talk about it all the time on a podcast. The reason I started this was because I want to be a, become a stay-at-home dad. And in order for me to become a stay-at-home dad, I need to be able to provide. And real estate yeah. is my way to provide, right? So, yes. you know, that's what I want. That's, that's exactly my motivation behind all of this is I want to be at all the sporting events. I want to mm-hmm. be that parent that goes on the field trips and can sponsor kids and do things like that. So... I didn't have that. And so that's what I want to give. And that's my motivation behind all of this, all of the investing, all of the working longer hours. And I want other people to have that. And that's the point of this podcast is to get people to that point. 
But Stephanie, we're going to transition into the last questions of the podcast. And of course, I ask these questions to every single guest that comes on. Are you ready? Yes. Question number one. Everyone has their own definition of what it means to have financial peace. What is your definition? My definition of financial peace I would be to have enough passive income set up and built up to cover life's expenses, to have whatever active income and whatever fun extra stuff I'm doing can come from my work optional jobs that I've chosen to do and that I'm actively doing to make money. But if I could have the big things covered with the consistent passive income, that would bring me full financial peace. Yeah, I, I love it that you no longer have to work to live. Yep. Phenomenal. Question number two. If there are listeners out there that want to start building wealth and have no clue where to get started, what would you tell them? My biggest advice, and I think this is probably the easiest first step, is you're already on Instagram or Twitter, one of the two, and you're probably on there every single morning or every single night. So find five to 10 people that are talking about money, that are talking about personal finance and follow them because then your feed is slowly going to transition to putting that thought in your mind, to seeing these tips and tricks, to changing your mindset. And I think that that is a pretty easy, pretty quick way that you can start to shift your thinking. Yeah, I love that because it goes right back to surrounding yourself with people who are doing what you want to do in the places it's being done. Like a lot of people think that your network is the people that you're, you're physically hanging around, but you can expand your network, your network to the people who, whose content you're absorbing. And so if you create a network of content that you're absorbing, that's all about, you know, living on less than you make investing, you know, learning about real estate and all these things, you're going to end up naturally forming your life to follow in those habits that others are sharing. So I think that's such a phenomenal and underrated um, tip is like, yeah, social media, like use social media to your benefit. You know, we all we all know that social media can be an absolute like it can. It's tear, a beast. It's a beast. It's a beast. <laughs> So if you surround yourself on social media with the positivity, with the people who are who just want to see the best in you, I think that that's the next best thing than physically being surrounded by those people, because everybody doesn't have the option to be physically surrounded by people who are into personal finance and personal development. Yeah. I mean, when I started the Miss Money Moves account, at first, it was literally just to have a separate account where I was only following finance accounts. And I, I didn't post anything. I was like anonymous. I didn't even have my name on there or anything. I was just following all of the personal finance accounts I could find. And then slowly over six, eight months, it turned into what it is now. And I hardly even go on my personal Instagram account anymore because I spend so much time on that one because that's what I want to be consuming and what I'm interested in and what I want to be talking about and learning about. So it's so funny you bring it up because like I think back like I do not use my personal accounts for anything. Like there's just nothing <laughs> on there 
that motivates me. There's nothing on there that like, yeah, I, it's yeah. crazy that you mentioned <laughs> that because now I'm thinking back, like, when's the last time I actually went on my personal account and absorbed content? I like pop over there occasionally and maybe like see what my sister posted or do something very specific, but then like very quickly I'm back on the other one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So question three, if there's one thing you would advise everyone to avoid doing to start building wealth, what would that be? I think I would say avoid jumping into things that you don't understand, whether that be taking out that student loan, purchasing a car on a lease or taking on a car loan. You know, if you feel like you're not fully comprehending how it's working or how you're how the finances go in or the interest rate or how you pay it back or any of that, maybe take a step back and try to learn about that first before you take on the debt. I mean, for real estate too, if you don't know anything about the area you just moved in, maybe spend six months to a year learning about that area and driving around and talking to people before you just buy a house there. Yeah, it's all about avoiding those impulsive, ignorant decisions. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think that's probably one of my biggest wealth building mistakes was when I first <laughs> bought my car. I literally knew nothing about interest, nothing about insurance, nothing. I just knew I needed a car to drive. <laughs> and that was the biggest mistake up to this point. And it was an impulse decision. So I 100% agree with that. You need to be educated. Yeah. A conscious, a conscious consumer. Try to become one of those. I love it. I love that. Saying, a conscious consumer. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> so question number four. If there's someone out there that doesn't believe they can reach financial peace due to their age, race, religion, sexual orientation, etc., what would you say to change their mind? I would tell them that that to stop believing that limiting belief. You know, for me, it was, I had the limiting belief of, I'm just not smart enough to learn about the stock market. And I think when I dig a little deeper into that, it's because when I look at investors and stock people, a lot of them are men. And so I was like, I'm, I'm a girl, like that can't be for me. And that's, that was a limiting belief that held me back till I was 27, you know? And do I wish I would have had more, women in my life to show me that? Yeah. But did I seek out women in my life that were talking about finance? Did I surround myself with those people? I didn't. But now that I have, it has taken me to a whole new area. So, I mean, try to dig into what that limiting belief is, age, sex, race, religion, and then go find somebody that is that same age or sex or race or religion that's doing it. Because I guarantee there's someone out there that looks like you that seems more like you and is achieving the goal you want to achieve. I absolutely love that. I I love that because a lot of times people ah, that's such a good question to ask yourself because it's like like if you really want to solve, because a lot of people will complain, I can't do this because of this. I can't do that because of this. And it's, it's a way of dodging accountability and saying, I can't do this because someone else is limiting me. But when you step back and you ask yourself like, okay, have I sought out anyone who is doing what I want to do, where it's being done? 
And if the answer is no, then the accountability falls back on you. Now, there will be times where you, let's just say it was, let's just say we were 200 years ago and I was a black man and wanted to get into real estate. And I actually sought out black people who own real estate and I literally couldn't find anybody. Then, okay, I've done my best in order to seek out people who look like me and are doing what I want to do and I can't find them, they don't exist. Now I need to pivot. But a lot of people, they don't even ask themselves that question. They don't even do that research to figure out like, because when they do, they will quickly realize like there are so many people who look like me, who have dealt with what I'm dealing with that are doing what I want to be doing. And so I love that question because it makes someone hold themselves accountable to their limiting beliefs. Yeah. I mean, having the victim mindset of, it's just, it, sometimes it's hard, but like you said earlier in the podcast, like, unfortunately the world doesn't owe you anything. So you can sit around and play the, woe is me. This is so hard. I, I can't because of A, B, and C, but that's you holding yourself back. So take that first step. Yeah. And I think a lot of people might have an issue with someone like, like you being a, no, like if I say it, I'm a man, if I say it to you, you know, some people might think like, oh, you're, it's easy to say that because you're a man. Or I can say that to a white person and say like, oh, it's easy for you to say that because you're, you're white and you're not black. But at the end of the day, My philosophy, which I try and teach people is like, it's not about who's saying it. It's about the message they're saying. Right. Like, I don't care if a white man tells me that, you know, you can be an investor compared to a black. The message is the same. So I want people not to get so caught up in the messenger, but instead absorb the message that's being said. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think that's a good point. Stephanie, this has been such an amazing conversation. Can you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you? Yeah, so the best place to follow along with me is on my Instagram account, which is at Miss Money Moves. I post on there pretty much every day and I'm trying to spend this year bringing as much as I can content and you know, resources wise to people to help them start and tackle their personal finance journey. Gotcha. And of course, guys, I'm going to be linking her Instagram in the show notes. You don't have to go far to find (laughs) it. It'll be in the show notes where you guys can click it and follow her. But Stephanie, I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate you sharing all of this knowledge and wisdom and experience that you've gotten up to this point. I think it's been really indulging. And I really think that the listeners are going to get a lot of value from listening to this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on and for creating this whole platform and bringing together all of these people. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast and there's so many, so many different stories and so much to learn from everybody you're bringing together into this one space. So thank you for all of that. Absolutely. That's the whole point. It's like, we're all running our different race and we all have different obstacles, but there's someone out there that has faced the same obstacles (laughs) as you. So if I can get every single obstacle (laughs) based on this podcast, then people have absolutely no excuse not to be able to overcome it. Definitely. But yeah, I, again, I really appreciate you coming on and hopefully I can have you on in the future. We can get some net worth updates. Maybe you pivoted. Now you've hit those couple rental properties. So (laughs) 
the future is very bright. So uh, yes, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. You have a blessed rest of your day. Yes, you too. And guys, I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview and that conversation with Stephanie from Miss Money Moves. Like I said, we talked about a bunch of things, anywhere from how she improved her savings rate up to getting around that 40% mark. I know that may seem very, very unobtainable for most people, but you have to realize that no one who is saving 40% of their income actually started with saving 40% of their income. They always started with something smaller, whether it's $10, $100, or whatever that is. We also talked about tracking your net worth every single month just to see what it's doing. And she gave some really good tips on how to not feel discouraged when your net worth does drop. Because as we go through recessions, as the stock market comes down, as real estate prices begin to level out in areas, you have to realize that your net worth is going to continuously be staggering, going up and going down if you're tracking it on a monthly basis. And you, as a long-term investor, you have to be okay with that and you have to accept that. And of course, another thing we talked about was having cash to feel comfortable. Even though, you know, she doesn't have a, a very large cash stack set aside as an emergency fund, she still has a very large stack of cash set aside that is earmarked for something else. So that just proves that having the money provides the comfort, not necessarily uh, where the money, what the money's intended to do. Because you can always, once you have the money, you can always change where it goes and what it does. So I really hope you guys enjoyed that. And of course, guys, I do offer financial coaching where you can schedule that down in the show notes below. I really appreciate all of you guys who follow us on all social medias. We are the Gen Z Money on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, and I just released the TikTok and I started putting out TikTok videos. So all of that will be in the show notes below where you can find that. And of course, make sure you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel where if you want to actually watch the videos, you can watch them on Facebook or you can watch them on YouTube. So make sure you guys subscribe there. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anything like that, make sure you guys leave us a rating and review and let me know what you think of the podcast, honest opinions. You know, if you reach out to me on social media, say, hey, Jay, James, you know what? I don't really like you talking to people who have, you know, this or that or whatever the case is, whatever discrepancies you have with the podcast, I'm always open to hear them and to improve. And just make sure you guys share it with your friends. But I'm your host, James Bowman. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys. Later, guys.